to the book of Mark. We're reading from chapter 1 and we're starting from verse 29. As soon as Jesus and his followers left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand and helped her up. The fever left her and she began to wait on them. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. I've been on stacks of mission trips. Probably the most common place I've been to is Cambodia. And here's a scene I've encountered several times in Phnom Penh, for instance, the capital. Uh, so you're out shopping and uh, a Buddhist monk or usually two or three Buddhist monks kind of walk up and they are sort of meek and understated and then they just very quietly stand out front of a shop. And uh, when the shop owner uh, has got no customers, they kind of walk out and they give a little bit of money uh, and they put it in kind of the, the offering basket of the Buddhist monk. And then the Buddhist monk says a few prayers and the shop owner goes back inside and then the monks walk a few steps to the right and they stand in front of the next shop and the whole scene is replayed over and over again. And I remember watching this and thinking to myself, my goodness, these Buddhist monks are running a spiritual protection racket. This is kind of like the mafia. And if you pay them, then they will pray for you to be uh, protected from evil, from the gods who are annoyed at you and come and somehow undermine your business. And I think to myself, that is such a strange view of prayer. Prayer is universal, but that's not how I think about prayer. Uh, Tibetan Buddhists pray in a different way again. Um, they write all their prayers on a wheel and you don't even have to say the prayers. If you simply spin the wheel, then that somehow tips the gods in your favour. Or if you follow classic Buddhism, then you're actually not trying to persuade the gods to be in your corner because actually there are no gods. Instead, prayer is about meditation, trying to empty your mind of its belief that somehow I'm going to find happiness or I'm going to find success or you need to re remove the illusions of your mind. You need to find in that clarity, in that silence, um, the, 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 
the blessed state of not having hopes that will lead to disappointment. That's a completely different view of prayer again. Uh, if we think about um, Hindus, then in Hinduism, prayer is not so much asking for things, but it's about meditating and, and coming to appreciate that somehow you are at one with the universe. Or have you ever been to like a Chinese restaurant and you know they've got that, that cat that has the arm kind of going like that? That also is a, a type of prayer. Uh, and what the lucky cat is trying to do is trying to push prosperity, push blessings towards the owner of the shop. Wow, fancy sticking a battery in a little cat and somehow that's how you can pray. These are all quite foreign thoughts about prayer, aren't they? And Muslims too, their prayer is different than ours. Muslims pray and you need to face towards Mecca because God isn't somehow where you are. Allah is somehow closer to Mecca and you need to be focused there, not here. And the word Islam means submission. And in uh, Islam, you pray by kneeling, by making yourself prostrate and by remembering that God, Allah, is sovereign and that you need sub to submit to his will. Whereas for us as Christians, prayer is a conversation with God. We reach out to commune with God only to discover that God has already begun reaching back to us. He's deeply and intimately interested in the details of our life and he wants to hear from us. Tim Keller, we saw last week, described prayer like this. Prayer is a continuing conversation that God has started through his word and his grace, which eventually becomes a full encounter with him. So if we're going to have a continuing conversation or continue a conversation that God has already started, that requires us to understand something about the person of God with whom we're communicating. If this is an interpersonal interaction between God and humanity, what does it mean to talk to God and how does God begin conversations? What's it like to talk to him? Last week we saw in Romans 10 that uh, God's blessings are appropriated by prayer. Uh, the Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So blessing and salvation is found through prayer, by calling on God. But Paul goes on to say in the next verse, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? Now, if you know something about the book of Romans, we're in chapter 10 here, it's between 9 to 11, and it's about how can the Gentiles call on the God of the Jews if they don't know about this God? You need to know something about God in order to have a conversation with him. And how do you find out stuff about God? Well, in Keller's definition, God begins this conversation through his word and through grace. And so I just want to spend a bit of time now listing some dimensions of God that we can know about him that are going to facilitate our conversation with him because he reveals these in scripture. We see this in Jesus' ministry, right? 
uh, in the beginning of John's Gospel. Um, Jesus performs lots of miracles. He draws a crowd. Uh, and we read in John 1 that uh, everyone's knocking at his door very early in the morning. While it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found Jesus, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. And Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So Jesus performs miracles in the next town. He's not against caring for the sick and healing people. But if people just want him to be a miracle worker, well, he comes for much more than that. He comes to share what the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom is like this. The kingdom is like that. So from scripture, from the word, we hear about God's personhood, who he is as a being, and we encounter the themes of the kingdom, what the kingdom is like. Here's another dimension we can discover from scripture. John 14, uh, Jesus is teaching about prayer. Very truly, I tell you, Whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. They will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Now, in future weeks, I'll tackle the question of why sometimes that doesn't appear to be true, that not everything we ask for uh, we seem to get. But... The part I want you to notice today is that we're meant to pray in Jesus' name. And what scripture is teaching us about prayer is, I'm not coming into the throne room of God on my own merit, in my own strength. Now, I can approach the throne room with confidence. Why? Because I come in Jesus' name, because of what Christ has done. Uh, it's Jesus who tore the curtain from top to bottom so that I can come into the presence of God, into the Holy of Holies. Keller puts it like this. To pray in Jesus' name is essentially to reground our relationship with God in the saving work of Jesus over and over again. Prayer is a reminder that I come to God, that I'm acceptable, that it's possible. Why? because of Jesus. It also means to recognise your status as a child of God, regardless of your inner state. We get to call God Father because Jesus, who was our brother, a member of our human race, died and rose again. And therefore, prayer, so scripture enlightens us, is a reminder that we are sons and daughters and we can bring our prayer requests to our Father who knows how to give good things to his children. Isn't that a beautiful thought? You understand your identity when you pray, that you are special, you are precious to God because you are his child and you are that because of the saving work of Jesus, our older brother. So we understand our identity through prayer. Here's another thing we can understand from Scripture about prayer. And this is, as I mentioned last week, probably my favourite prayer in Scripture, and it's Jesus in the garden. Father, if you are willing, take this cup 
from me. Have you prayed that prayer? God, I'm not looking for suffering. Can you remove my health impediment or my financial challenges or that annoying, frustrating person at work? Or, but Jesus goes on and he prays, yet not my will, but yours be done. Prayer is about acknowledging that ultimately God is sovereign, that his ways are higher, and it's an exercise in entrusting yourself to God. Or as Matt called it in the children's talk last week, yield. It's about yielding to God. So prayer is about learning how we pray when we suffer. We discover that truth from Scripture. Think about the Psalms. Many of them are sung prayers, right? And the most common type of prayer is a psalm of lament. I'm not very good at lamenting, and, and I think I get that from our culture. We, we can't just sit in a space and kind of say, you know, isn't it sad that things are broken? We want to blame or we want to fix, or, but the Psalms help us learn how to pray when the world is not as it should be. Another thing uh, Scripture teaches us about prayer is how to find joy beyond our circumstances. So in Psalm 42, we read this. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Uh, that's our life often, isn't it? It's, it's easy to feel downcast and to focus on the things that disturb us. But David goes on, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. When you focus in God, when you put your hope in God, then the praises come despite what your circumstances might be. And that fits with the conversation, doesn't it? You might be thinking to yourself, man, my life is so heavy at the moment. I've got all these burdens. I can't do this and work is a challenge and there's all these restrictions and we haven't got the same levels of income and there's financial pressures and the kids at home wear me out and uh, there's no joy in my life at the moment. And I want to say to you, well, prayer's a conversation. And what scripture is saying to you is that God has enough joy for the both of you. And if you would just listen and engage with him, then you will hear some things about you and about his world and about his relationship with you that are going to bring you joy, regardless of how you happen to feel just at the moment. God's a provider. God's one who acts justly. God's one who loves and who knows how to give good things. And there's a sense of confidence that the psalmists or the disciples have when they pray and when they trust in Jesus. And we can know that type of joy because we see it grounded for us in Scripture. Prayer helps us find joy beyond our circumstances. Uh, so... Uh, and one more thought, and that's from 2 Thessalonians, where we read these words. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling. It's a prayer. Paul's often praying for his congregations. He's praying here for the church at Thessalonica. And that by his power, he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and every deed prompted by faith. There's some deep stuff there, but let's just try to grab a couple of things quickly. God, 
through prayer is going to equip you and make you worthy of his calling. Through prayer, you discover that God has a calling on your life. That God doesn't exist to help you become the best version of you that you decide you want to be. No, God has a calling on your life. God has um, a purpose and a shape for your life. And through prayer, a power can be released in you that brings to fruition desires for goodness. I don't know about you, I find desires quite natural, but they aren't always desires for goodness. They're desires for all sorts of other things. But prayer can unlock and release desires for goodness and good deeds prompted by faith. Again, I find all sorts of deeds kind of natural, but they aren't always good deeds and they aren't always coming from a space of faith. But prayer brings us, it, it, it fuels good things and good actions prompted by faith. So there are more examples. I've just given you a few, but I hope what you're getting a picture of is that in Scripture, we find both evidence, we find material, we find data about what God is like, and we also find precedence in the narratives. We find individuals with whom we can align, you know, whether it's, say, Joseph in the pit or um, Israel in the wilderness. And, and what was it like for them to pray out to God? And, and how did God answer them? And how does that give us some clues about how we're to have a conversation in God when we're in the wilderness or we're in despair or in the valley of the shadow of death or, or when we're on the mountaintops um, and when we're uh, praising God? Uh, now, how do you pray at those times? That scripture enlightens all of that. And I want to say, that's precious, that's beautiful, but the New Testament takes prayer to another level. So far, what we have is um, perhaps uh, an Old Testament sense of prayer where you learn things about God from Scripture. And then when we get to the New Testament, we get verses like this one in Hebrews 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days... He has spoken to us by his Son, through whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. So here's the concept, right? God spoke in the Old Testament through the prophets. It was a, a second-hand kind of way. Um, perhaps an illustration at the moment might be, it's kind of like in a Zoom conversation, um, and, and it was through a medium. But now God speaks to us through his son. And in John's gospel, this looks like Jesus, the word who comes incarnate, who comes in the flesh and who dwells with us. He pitches his tent among us. And then in John uh, 15, um, he invites us to abide in him and he in us. And so we see that Jesus becomes the word in the flesh. And, and we're having a face-to-face -face encounter with the word. That is more than just what we received in the Old Testament via the prophets. 
Uh, have you been kind of getting Zoom fatigue? I know I do. I sit in lots of Zoom meetings. Um, and I remember I'd had a whole lot of isolation and Zoom meetings. And then there was a, a day, a week or so ago, where I actually got to come somewhere and there were like 10 or so people there. And it was just beautiful to see people and talk to people. It was so refreshing. And, and I just felt this joy kind of swelling up in my heart by just being around people in the flesh. And I want to say to you that New Testament prayer goes to that next level, that when we are in Christ and Christ is in us and we have in Jesus the capacity to pray in his name and to approach the Father with confidence, then prayer is more intimate and more personal and more powerful than what it was. Uh, And uh, again, John's Gospel takes that a little bit further. So we read that it's not just in the word, but it's also in the spirit. John 14, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. It's a little bit like that uh, prayer of Paul's in Thessalonians, isn't it? That when you're praying, that's transforming somehow your behaviours and your desires. Um, uh, And Jesus is speaking to his disciples. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Now, this is a fascinating scripture because I've heard it quoted by kind of two sets of my Christian friends. And um, there are my Pentecostal brothers and sisters who love this verse and they latch onto the fact that the Holy Spirit will come and will teach us all things, although they like to use the word new things. Um, And my evangelical brothers and sisters love to talk about how the Spirit will remind you of everything that I have said. So their emphasis falls on the fact that the Holy Spirit reminds us of what Jesus has said. But I want to suggest to you that um, let's go with the evangelical side first, because I think that's um, clearer that the Spirit is reminding us of what Jesus has said. He helps us. The Spirit's like a spotlight that, that uh, is not saying, turn around and look at me, the spotlight. No, no. Let me focus you on Jesus. He's centre stage and the Spirit reminds us of what Jesus says. But then I take it that the all part is that the Spirit takes Jesus' words and helps us internalise them and apply them to ourselves, to our own journey in life, to the context in which we find ourselves. And he makes those truths real for us now in the present so that as we pray, we're having an encounter with Jesus. This is part of um, Keller's definition, an encounter with Jesus that the Spirit is taking Jesus' words and applying them to us in the here and the now. And that's a really precious and a powerful moment. And that's, friends, what Christian prayer is. We'll talk in the next four weeks about how to pray. But really, these first two weeks have been an introduction as to what Christian prayer is. It's more than a focusing of the mind. It's more than spinning a wheel in order to tip the gods in your favour. 
It's more than submission. It's about a personal conversation. But because it's a conversation with another person, with a being, an ultimate and a supreme being, the character and the nature of God sets the parameters and the tone to the conversation and profoundly shapes where the conversation goes. That's Christian prayer. And as I've tried to give you a full picture, I'm conscious that I think a lot of modern Western Christians don't have that rich a prayer life. It doesn't engage with the breadth and the richness of who God is as he's been revealed in Scripture. That the Bible is probably not open so much when they're praying, but it's sitting there on the shelf or it's sitting there in the device and it's treated like a reference book. And if you happen to need an answer to something, you can look it up, but otherwise you just kind of go with your own intuition. And prayer becomes a little bit more like, well, I'm not having a conversation with God, but I'm bringing request forms to God, like you might put in at work, you know, can I have some more stationery, please? And here's my request form. And, and I think a lot of modern Western Christians pray something like that. We, we, we have our impressions of where we think life ought to be going, and we ask God to come and to bless that. And what we're discovering is that prayer is so much more. It's a dialogue with God and therefore we learn something about what God is like and about the possibilities and the breadth and the dimensions of prayer. And as we pray those type of prayers, we learn things about ourselves and we grow and we're called to be part of things that are bigger and richer, that stretch us, that allow us to become uh, greater bearers of God's image. And, and, and to participate in the kingdom as it's breaking into our world. That's a beautiful type of prayer life to have. You know, it was um, actually my birthday this week and um, my children rang me up and it was lovely. Uh, and if my children had just rung me up and said, hey, Dad, oh, we got a question. Can, can you answer this for us? And um, it was just like me being somebody who... Uh, you know, uh, gave them some information. Or if they just rang me up and said, hey, Dad, um, we're kind of broke again. Can you lend us some money? And my kids aren't broke. But uh, you know, often you get those phone calls, don't you, from your children? Um, if that's all the conversation was with my children, I'd feel like we missed something, that that was a pretty impoverished dialogue. But that's not what happened. My children rang me up and they recalled some beautiful stories about times where we had connected and I had been able to parent or support or love them. Or, and, and it was just beautiful to hear them sharing those thoughts with me. God's our Father in heaven. And the possibility that our prayers can be so much more than just a bit of information or asking for something. They can be an opportunity for us to connect, for the Holy Spirit to bind our spirit together with Christ and we come into the presence of God and we commune and we encounter with him. That's precious. They are prayers worth praying.
and we're going to think for the next four weeks about how we can pray like that. Amen.